You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today, and happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. Um, I want to start today and really close this series out. We've entitled it No Man's. It's a series on love, sex, and dating, and if you've missed any of these sermons, they're all online. I encourage you to go and check them out, and uh, today I want to start by asking you a question. Do you remember your wedding vows? How many of you could quote those wedding vows? Anybody at all? No. Let me, here are some traditional wedding vows that you might uh, find familiar. Uh, here, here we go. I, fill in the blank, take thee to be my wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. According to God's holy ordinance, I promise my love and self to you. Sound familiar? Yeah, those were the vows that you most likely took on your wedding day. And you know, on our wedding day, we thought we were making a really easy promise, didn't we? I mean, they were perfect. Everything about them was wonderful. And, and the relationship at that point hadn't crossed a lot of hurdles and there, weren't a lot, there wasn't a lot of complexity to the relationship. And so when we were saying that promise, we actually meant it. We just didn't know what it actually meant. You know, the marriages that flourish are those that realize that the real promise comes long after the wedding day. And we've got to be reminded that we made this promise to our spouse. We made this promise to God. And so we want to honor that promise. And and if you want to really thrive as a couple and not just survive, if you want to thrive uh, spiritually and emotionally in your marriage, you've got to take this concept that I want to talk about today very seriously. And, And I believe today that God is going to save some marriages. I really believe that. I've been praying for that. And I believe that somebody in this room, you're going to walk away from today and God is going to resurrect your marriage For those of you that would say our marriage is going really well, uh, the the reality for you is I hope that you learn some things that you're going to be able to share with some of your friends in the future whose marriage is in fact about to end, and you're going to be able to speak some truth into their life, and their marriage is going to be saved as a result. And if you're single today, if you will gather this information and this truth, then you'll make some serious commitments today as you move forward. It will save you so much uh, so many problems and such, so many uh, distractions in your future marriage, you'll be the better for it. The main concept today that all of our couples need to grasp is this. We've got to practice our promise. You, every single day, have to make a habit of practicing the promise that you made to your spouse, however many years ago that was. Now, the reality is when it comes to promises is that they're, they're easy to make, but they're often really difficult to keep. And so uh, when we say practice our promise, it, it, it's not an easy thing to do. In fact, when you think about all the issues in your life and all the different challenges that you and I face, practicing your promise is in fact difficult. Now, let's take a look at this table here and let's just imagine for a minute that this is your kitchen table and everything that we have on our table and everything that we deal with in life is, is on it today. For instance, uh, for many of you, for all of us, when we got married, we immediately had to start thinking about our finances differently, didn't we? 
I mean, so much conflict, there's so much tension that can arise in a marriage as it relates to our finances. Maybe one of you is a spender and the other is a saver. So naturally there's conflict there. Maybe one of you had a lot of school loans and so you had this massive debt and, and uh, maybe credit card debt. And, and so there was instantly conflict, but no matter who you are, whether it's going well or not going well, on the table of our relationship maritally, we have to deal with the issue of our finances. It's there, it's a reality. Another thing that we have to deal with is this idea that we have to learn how to balance our family life with our work life. Now, this isn't a problem that you're ever going to solve, but it is a tension that you have to learn to manage in your life. I mean, as men, sometimes we find our identity in our jobs and our employment, and so we dive into that, and, and oftentimes to the detriment of you know, our responsibilities as a dad or, or as a husband. And so we all struggle with that, and, and there are a lot of moms in the room. There's a lot of wives in the room today that, in fact, you know, you have a career, and so you're trying to manage this, and this tension as well. And, and as a couple, like this is on the table. This is a real issue. It causes a lot of tension, and it adds a layer of complexity to our relationships. And then, like no other, marriage has a way of showing off our true colors. And so these crowns represent those uh, things that are deep within your heart, that when you are married, they come to the forefront. And so it's, it's when you make a comment to your spouse and, and he or she, like it clicks a button or something and they just instantly jump out and lash out at you and they're, and you're like, whoa, 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 cowboy, bring it down a level. Like what happened there? We just hit a nerve, right? Their true colors begin to come out in our marriage. And so sometimes those true colors are helpful things. They're good things. And, and so things like love and compassion and forgiveness, we, we begin to develop those colors and reveal those. And, and then oftentimes it's those deeper, uh, deeper darker issues that, that also reveal who we really are. And so that's on the table. And we've got to deal with that together. And then maybe God blesses you with kids, and so this lunchbox represents the fact that, that kids really complicate the relationship, doesn't it? I mean, you think about it. I mean, when, when, when God blesses us with these little tiny infants, these are little miracles that we wrap up and we love and we cuddle and it changes everything. And, and the flip side of that is we don't sleep for like three months, right? And that makes us very, very irritable and, and, and it causes tension in the relationship. And these you know, beautiful little kids, they grow up and as they get older, you know, their, their schedules impact your schedule. And now all of a sudden I'm a full-time chauffeur and I'm taking my kids to this practice and I'm taking my kids to that activity and this school event and that school event and, and this birthday party and we're running them everywhere, right? And then they get into middle school and we're asking them serious questions like, are you possessed by a demon, right? Like, who are you? This, is, this can't be like who I used to know as a child. And so, yeah, that's different. And then they get a little bit older and now they're in high school. And so now they want to date and they want to drive. And, and then all of a sudden as parents, like you can't sleep again. Like you're, you're sleep deprived. And kids are wonderful and they make so many things about, so much about life great. But I, on the other hand, like they do, add a level of complexity in that, that as a married couple, we've got to deal with, we've got to learn how to manage that tension. And then there's also those unexpected realities of life. This stack of mail represents the, the things that happen in our life that we didn't expect. It's that doctor's report that brings back bad news that we never saw coming. 
the car broke down and we've got to pay for this bill or to do this and to do that. And, and now all of a sudden it puts our life in a tailspin. Yeah, we all have to deal with issues like unexpected news. And, and when we look at our table, when we look at the issues at hand here, you kind of step back and it's like, bro, it's no wonder marriage is so difficult. Look at all the different things that we're trying to juggle. Look at all the different things that we're trying to do as a couple and, 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 and what we're trying to do as a family. And, and we step back and, and, you know, for some people, the complexity and the things that are taking place in their life are so troublesome that they just decided to give up. They called it quits. And they, they got a divorce. And there's a mindset here that we've got to, you know, begin to recognize today that, that if in fact this complexity and these things are going to take place, and, and if I'm thinking about potentially divorcing my spouse, then there's one more thing that you have to add to your table. And these dead flowers represent the option to get a divorce. And you see, when you put the option of divorce on the table in your marriage, it changes the landscape of your marriage. Now, all of a sudden, you can't just deal with the issues. No, because you're dealing with this unforeseen reality that maybe, just maybe, we're going to get a divorce. Maybe she's not the one for me. And so I'm trying to balance and I'm trying to handle finances, but maybe it would be easier if I just left her and I just walked away and, man, I could just start fresh, start clean, as if that would solve our problems. When divorce is on the table, it drains you from the energy that you need in order to work on all of this. When divorce is on the table, you start putting time limits on your spouse. If you don't change by this date, then I'm out of here. And you may not verbalize it, but you're thinking about it. Your energy is sapped. Your, your, your vision for what your marriage could and should be is also blurry now because divorce is on the table. God wants your marriage to flourish. He wants it to grow. He wants you to enjoy one another. He wants you to parent well together. But with the issue of divorce on the table, that vision is blurred out. Now, what is it about those couples that have this level of complexity, same as everybody else, and it pulls them together instead of pulling them apart? What's different? Well, I think one of the things that we struggle with as a culture, and even Christians buy into this reality, is that we go into marriage with a cohabitation mindset. In other words, we're getting married, but our mindset is that we're just cohabitating. And if, and if you're in that mindset, what you're asking is this. This is the question. Is this marriage working for me? And when I have that question lurking in my mind, is this marriage working for me? Then again, I encourage and challenge you that none of these problems and issues can be fixed because divorce is now on the table. Is she meeting the needs in my life that, I ought, that she ought to be meeting? Is she doing what she should be doing? And if she's not meeting my needs, then perhaps she is not the one. Now, for a lot of people in the room, this is just, like a small taste of the complexity of your life. There are other things that you would put on this table. Maybe your in-laws are, are adding the issues into your life. Maybe, you know, you've got an ex-boyfriend or, or an ex-husband, an ex-wife that's in the picture, and maybe you would represent that situation with a nine millimeter, and you'd put it on the table. I don't know. I thought that might be a little too far. 
See, the difference between the couples that they see these issues and it draws them together and the couples that are pulled apart is their mindset. The cohabitation mindset is, what is this marriage gonna do for me? But what I think we see in the Bible is a different mindset. It's the mindset of a covenant relationship. So that is the mindset that says, okay, I am making a covenant with you, a promise with you, my bride, that I am going to love you and cherish you in sickness and in health till death do us part. And oh, by the way, I'm also promising you, God, and I'm also promising all of my family and friends who are there to witness this event. So the covenant mindset says and asks this question, what must I do in order to make this marriage work? What do I have to do in order to make this marriage work? It changes the landscape of everything in your relationship. That You are saying, yes, I chose you. You are the one that I have made a promise and a covenant with. I chose you. You are my bride. You're my husband. And the reality is some of you just haven't made that decision. I've often been told by many people, and one guy in particular, he told me one time, he said, Trent, I've tried everything. I've been to counseling. I've been, you know, I've read the books. I've been to conferences. I've, I've done everything, man. It's just not working. We're, we're, we're going to get a divorce. And, and I remember challenging this one guy, and I said, well, you haven't tried everything. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, you haven't tried just staying together. And he said, what? I mean, we can't stay together because of all these issues. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. But divorce is on the table. So what if you took divorce off the table and you made the commitment to stay together? He said, well, is that going to solve all my problems? Like, we, we're going to stay together, and so now, you know, we're not going to, you know, have these problems? No, 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 that's not going to happen. But it does give you the opportunity to actually work on the issues. Because as long as divorce is on the table, counselors will tell you, it's almost impossible to actually fix anything in the marriage when that is an option. The pull and the, and the, and the blurriness of what should and could happen is too real in our life. This is the issue. When, when divorce is on the table, it changes everything. Has it ever occurred to you, though, that the problems and issues that God has placed on your table are there on purpose? That he sent those issues into your life so that you would work on yourself, that you would be challenged at the core of who you are, and that God would begin to show you a different way. And now because of those issues and because you worked on those issues, uh, putting Jesus first in your life, now you have reached a level in your relationship that you never would have reached otherwise. Maybe they're there for that reason. So covenant mindset says, what, I ha what do I have to do to make this marriage work. Now, for parents in the room, you understand what a covenant relationship looks like because, you know, when it comes to your kids, I've got four kids, by the way, and uh, my wife and I, we talk about this all the time. It seems like, you know, our kids are never all four in a good place at the same time. It always seems like one of them is being a knucklehead and doing something. And I know, I know, I know, like for you guys, you think, okay, you're a pastor, your kids walk around with their hands folded and they sing Amazing Grace, you know, as they go to bed, you know, the, the old hymn version, not the Chris Tomlin version, right? That's what you think. I get it. 
But in fact, that's not the reality. Like they, they are just like your kids and, and they mess up constantly. And we're constantly, you know, trying to figure out how to parent them well. And it's never occurred to us in the heat of the moment when our kids are, you know, misbehaving for me to say, you know what, kiddos, on the grounds of irreconcilable differences, I don't think I'm the right parent for you. Matter of fact, you're not the right kids for me. Get to step in, yeah. Never said that. As parents, we might think it, okay. <laughs> we might think it, but we, we don't say that. Why? Because there's a covenant relationship intuitively in our heart and in our mind. These are our children. These are our kids. You are always going to be my daughter, my, my son. Like, that's never going to change. And so, why am I subtracting this word divorce in my vocabulary when it comes to my kids but then why would I imply it or use it as it relates to their mother? Well, we've got to change our mindset. We've got to flip a switch today. We've got to go from a cohabitation, we'll see if this thing works out mindset, to a covenant mentality, a covenant relationship that says, you are mine, I am yours. We're going to do whatever it takes to work through this together. If you have your Bibles, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at two verses, two very short verses. Now, I know we've been, as you're turning there, we're, we've been in the Song of Solomon, and some of you are disappointed because you wanted to go back to the Song of Solomon and talk about how beautiful her hair is and her teeth and how strong her neck is and talk about her gazelles and all that stuff. I get it. But we're in 2 Corinthians 5 today. And I want to see these two powerful verses begin to change our heart. Verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ controls us. The NIV says compels us because we have concluded this. So here's what he means at this point. He's saying the love of Christ is controlling us. It's compelling us. And, and, and because of that compelling love, because of that controlling love in our life, we have concluded this. In other words, we have changed our minds. Our mindset is different. Our focus is different. We've experienced the love of Christ personally in our own life. And now it compels us. And it's, it is controlling me. Therefore, my mind has changed. Let's continue. This is how it's changed. That one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for who? Themselves. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, think about this. If you're taking notes, if you want to begin to practice your promise, begin to change things, practice this promise that you've made to your spouse, the first thing you're going to have to commit to is to stop living for yourself. Stop living for yourself. He says, we have concluded this. We have a different mindset it's a covenant mindset. Things are, are differently when we apply this verse to our marriage. We are saying, okay, I am no longer going to live for myself. Now, why would he say, why would he say it like this? The love of Christ compels me, therefore I'm not going to live for myself any longer. Why would he say that? Because before the love of Christ compels us, we are living for who? Ourselves. I'm living for Trent. Before the love of Christ is compelling me, I am living for me. I am living for my pleasure, my joy. Get out of my way. I don't care what you want. You better do what I need you to do when I want you to do it. This is my mentality. This is the sinfulness that is entrenched in each of our hearts. Now, some of you may not agree with me on this. That's okay. 
but I'm going to say it anyway. You did not marry for love. You married because you were attracted to this person and you envisioned what they could do for you. You thought, oh, I'm not going to have to be lonely. They're going to fulfill that need for me. Oh, they're going to take care of me. Oh, they're going to make me happy. Oh, they're going to make a a good parent for my kids in the future. We don't marry for love. We marry for selfish reasons. And then as life progresses, problems arise. The infatuation dwindles. Her laugh is not funny or cute any longer. Bugs the heck out of us now. And what do we do? A lot of people say, you know what? This ain't working for me anymore. I don't like this. You're not fulfilling my needs. You're not doing what I want when I'm telling you to do it. And this frustrates me. And I want out. We think that the difficulties mean that this person isn't the one, right? You're not the one for me because things aren't going well. If you were the one, things would be going well. But because they're not going well, obviously you're not the one for me. But the reality is, the fact is, you decided to love this person You decided to make a covenant and a commitment and a promise to love and honor and cherish them. I'll never forget this. When I was in high school, I remember my dad. My dad's a a, a pastor, and he was preaching a, a message on relationships. And he said, love is a choice. Now, I remember that day being embarrassed for dad. I remember saying, oh, dad. Bro, he, he really missed that one. I mean, I was a high school kid. I had been versed on a lot of love movies. I had been watching many, many episodes of Friends and Seinfeld, right? I was equipped and I knew what love was at that point in my life, right? And so when dad was saying love is a choice, obviously, dad, this is, this is not true. Love is a mystical force. You don't choose who you fall in love with. It just happens, you know, you're just walking and love just happens and it just grows and then boom, you, you fall into it and you can fall out of it. But as I've grown and as I've matured and as I've read the Bible, it, it's very clear that love in a mystical sense is not true. Love is in fact a choice. You decide who you're going to love and you pursue that love. You pursue that person. You decide who you're going to marry and then How you practice that promise from that day forward is up to you. This is a truth that we must accept because when we get married, we start saying things like, well, we're just polar opposites. We're just so different, you know? And so we can't make this work because I just married my complete opposite, right? And the truth is you you really did marry the exact opposite of you. We all did because you are a sinner and you married a sinner. And you know what sin does? Sin makes us inward focused. It makes us want what we want when we want it. And so when I marry a woman who wants what she wants when she wants it, and I am a man who wants what I want when I want it, there's obviously going to be a collision of ego and pride. And as a result of that ego and that pride, it is obvious that conflict is going to arise. The selfishness in our heart distorts everything about our relationship. We're constantly trying to get what we want. We're constantly thinking we're more important. We're constantly thinking that I just need to lift myself up and people should just honor me and and support my kingdom. And it's just a lie. This is what sin does to us. Conflict 
arises. The, the reality is my idea of love and, and my spouse's idea of love are completely different, aren't they? Think about it. I mean, for me at least, like in our marriage, love for me was, you know, had more to do with the bedroom. <laughs> and, and let's do that every day and twice on Sunday, right? That was my idea of a healthy, loving marriage. Her idea of a healthy, loving marriage was that we would, you know, clean the kitchen together and have long talks. And that we were just on complete different pages when it came to our relationship. And sure, conflict takes place. And so the, the, the issue is not how can we erase all the conflict? Look, you're never going to get rid of everything that's on that table so that there are no problems in your life. There are always going to be issues. You're always going to disagree from time to time. But the question then becomes, okay, how can I work on how I communicate my feelings? How do I work on, okay, how am I going to express my different opinion? Um, I want to show a clip of a, a popular TV show it's a really raw scene of a, a couple that's in an intense battle. And I wonder if some of you in the room might actually relate to what's taking place in their life. Guys, let's roll that clip. For copyright purposes, we have removed this content. Sorry for any inconvenience. Really raw scene there of a reality that takes place in marriage when we are focused on what we want and what we are doing. And, and this is the nature and reality of sin in our life that I, I wanna help you realize today. Uh, even in their argument, they begin to argue about the sacrifices that they have made for one another. And because of sin in our life, it, it really warps our motives. And so it, it clouds our thinking so that we think, okay, we're sacrificing for them because we love them. And yet, perhaps it wasn't even something that they wanted. And so therefore, I'm sacrificing for them, and I'm saying I'm sacrificing for them because it makes me feel better about myself. Or perhaps I'm sacrificing for you in the sense that maybe you will do X, Y, and Z for me. So if I do this, then I expect you to act this way in the future, to do this and to do that. And when you don't, in fact, come through on my expectation, then that's going to cause me to be angry and upset at you. You see, this is what sin has done. It causes us to have a blurry, unfocused reality when it comes to what we are doing for the other person. Now, chances are there's some marriages in the room and your living room looks a lot like that and you're at odds with one another, and your voice raises, and you're constantly yelling over each other. And I want to give you a few helpful guidelines, some boundaries for when you do have an argument, because I would never say the goal, like I said a minute ago, that, that our goal is to end all arguments. That's not reality. We're going to have differences. We're going to have issues in our life that come up that, that cause tension in the relationship. So the goal is not to end arguments. The goal would be to fight fair. It would be to argue in a mature and appropriate way. It, it would be to communicate to one another that would help you come to a resolution and not just to win the argument. You know, so often winning the argument is the goal. But in reality, you never win when you think you win in a fight in your marriage, do you? You ever just walked away from an argument with your wife and thought, man, I, I got her on that one. I got her good. I won. And then for the next two days, like you didn't talk to her. She didn't talk to you. And like that wasn't really winning, was it? So what are some guidelines? The first thing I would say is, is never call each other names. 
Um, that's something that's so elementary. It's what we teach our four and five-year-olds the minute they start, you know, interacting with their siblings and other kids. It's like, don't call your brother a name. Don't say that about your sister. And yet as adults, we easily infiltrate our vocabulary with slang terms, with inappropriate words. We should never call our spouse any kind of names unless it's a love pet name, Pookie Bear, you know, Honey Muffin or Sex Kitten, whatever you call each other, but never inappropriate names. The second thing I would say is, is don't raise your voice. Anytime you're tempted to raise your voice, just pause, sing a song, pray, sing 14 songs, go outside, hold your breath, whatever you have to do to calm yourself down. Because when you are raising your voice, just like in this scene that we just saw, you're just yelling, he or she is yelling, and no one is hearing one another. You're just yelling, and and here's the thing that happens in our relationship. When I start yelling or she starts yelling, it's like we have the remote control and we just hit mute. We just check out. Because anytime you're yelling and you're screaming at somebody, they are not hearing you. They're just defending themselves. They're thinking about what they're going to say next to one-up you. And so it's not a healthy way to communicate your feelings or, or to get to a resolution. So we have to calm down and speak in a normal tone. The next boundary I would say is never go history channel. In other words, don't bring up the past when you have this argument. Stay in the present. You've done it before though. Back in 1999, you know, you let me down and you didn't do this. And we bring that stuff up in the heat of the moment and we start criticizing somebody for something you've already resolved, you know, that happened years ago. Stay in the present. Another thing I would say is never use the word never and always, those absolute terms. You never apologize. You always do that. Really? Do they always do that? They've never in the history of their life ever apologized? Well, of course not. It's an absolute term that we use that causes even more frustration and even further arguments. And then finally, I would say, never, ever, ever quote your pastor. (laughs) Don't ever do that. Like in the heat of the moment, Pastor Trent said, no, leave me out of that deal. You got yourself in the mess. You get yourself out of it. 2 Corinthians 5 here teaches us what sin really does. He says, I no longer live, but I live for him. And so what he's saying is, I was living for myself. And that's what sin does. It causes us to live for ourselves. Sin causes us to turn our focus inward. It causes us to shrink life into our little world. It causes us to shrink our focus and our concerns on our wants and our needs and our feelings. It causes us to think more about ourselves than other people. It causes us, because of sin, not to really love other people, but really just to love ourselves. What he's calling us to do is to be motivated, to be compelled, to be controlled by the love of Christ and his love and his grace and his mercy would lead us to extend that grace and love and mercy to our spouse. Sin is in fact a sickness. It's a disease. It's a terminal disease and it warps everything in your mind. It causes every decision you make to see how it would benefit you and not other people. So it is a daily, daily battle to fight against the temptation to honor yourself, to uplift yourself and to fulfill your wants and pleasures and dreams in your life. It's a constant battle. He says, don't do it. Don't live for yourself. The second thing he says is, I'm going to live for him. No longer live for yourself, but for him. For who? For Jesus. 
So the second point is that we must start pursuing Jesus. Stop living for yourself. Start pursuing Jesus. This is our motivation, that Christ loves us. He gave his life for us. And as we seek to honor him and to love him and to mature in our faith, the beauty of God bringing together a man and a woman in marriage is this. Two sinful people coming together, exposing their true colors. And now all of a sudden, I know I'm, 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 I'm outed, right? I, I have to face the music here. I've been living a very selfish and inward life. And my wife helped me to see that. Now, sometimes it angers me when she points it out. But when I'm honest and when I'm faithful to the word of God, I must look in the mirror. I must stop pointing my finger and I must look inward at my own heart, at my own life. You see, Jesus would call you to bring an end to yourself. He calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. This means that he wants you to give up your plan and receive his plan. This means that he wants you to give up your dreams. He wants you to abandon this idea that you can manipulate other people to build up your kingdom. Because listen, there is no life in your kingdom. There is only emptiness. There is only hopelessness. Those who live might live in him because the only way that you and I can truly experience real living is when we are in fact living for King Jesus. He was dead, he says, and he was raised. This means that God is willing to save your marriage. The empty tomb tells us that Jesus in fact was who he says he was, that he did what he came to do. He defeated sin, he defeated death, so that you have a way to have forgiveness of your sins and now you have a way to begin to kill the sin that is in your life. As I kill that sin, I am denying myself. I am denying what I want and I am uplifting the needs of others. This is what love does for us and to us and through us. The reality that Jesus died on a cross tells us that God is willing to save you He loves you. He was willing to die on a cross for your sins, not because of something that he saw in you, that you were so good or you had potential. No, he did this because of what was already in his heart. And his heart is is filled with love and mercy and grace. And so that love that we receive from him compels us. It motivates us. We're controlled by that to serve our spouse and not to serve that inward pull, that inward desire to do what I want when I want to do it. So if we're honest today, we have to stand exposed to the reality that the sin in our life is the result of all of the issues that we have in our marriage. It's not an opposite thing, opposites attract thing. It's not, a, it's not a money thing. That's just a surface level issue. It's not something that he did or she did in and of itself. It's this reality that you're both in sin. And the question for you is, are you going to begin to have a covenant mentality and start asking the question, what do I have to do to make this marriage work? And I would encourage you to stand in this confusion, to stand in this weakness, and to confess, Jesus, you're in control. Jesus, you are willing. Jesus, you love me. Jesus, you have the power to overcome this problem and issue 
in my marriage, in my relationship. You are willing, you are able, and he's not gonna give you a magic pill to swallow to make all of your problems go away. He's gonna call you to a long journey of sacrifice. He's gonna call you on a long journey of denying yourself, but as you deny yourself, as you sacrifice in love for your spouse, you really discover what real life truly is. So my challenge for you is to practice your promise. Practice your promise. Practice your promise. The life that God is calling you to is a life of holiness. It requires change. It requires selflessness. And so what we most importantly have to do today is allow the love of Christ to compel us in such a way that our mind begins to change and we have a different mindset. And for some of us, the most important thing we will do today is to take a look at our table to see everything that's on it and to remove the one thing that is ruining everything else in our relationship. And that would be to remove the option to get a divorce and it's no longer there. God, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? What do I have to do to practice this promise? God, what do I need to do to adjust my own heart I'm gonna look in the mirror. I'm gonna see me for who I am today. I'm not pointing my fingers. What do I have to do, Lord? What do I have to do to practice my promise? I'm gonna take the issue of divorce off and I'm gonna pursue you. I'm gonna stop living for myself and pursue you, Jesus, like never before. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, as we bow our heads, I'm reminded that there are couples in the room who are on the verge of a divorce. And if somebody doesn't change something, if things don't change, that's the path they'll continue to walk. And I'm praying for them, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would heal them, that you would change their hearts, that you would help them to see the sin that is in their own life, that you would help them to see that it is the best choice, the best way to peace and happiness would be to pursue you, Lord, and to seek forgiveness and reconciliation with their spouse, that you would honor that, God. You would bless that decision today. God, I'm praying that each one of us, singles in the room, married couples, we would deny ourselves, God. We would lift you higher. We'd stop living for ourselves. We'd start living for you. We'd start pursuing you. Lord, I pray that as we are faced with this reality today, that you would move our hearts. Help us, God, to go back to that day when you saved us. Help us to go back to that day we made that promise. Help us to go back to that day, God, when you died and rose from the grave, defeating sin and death and giving us the power, God, to restore our relationship with you. May that same power restore relationships in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.